the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. It's that five-star content for your earbuds. Make sure that if you're hearing this for the first time, you go and subscribe, review, rate, tell us what you think, tell us how you feel, because, listen, this it's like full go. Uh, Barton Simmons, right here. Um, I'm... I wake up in the mornings now, and I know that it's. I'm starting to get into midseason form because I just the first thing I think about is talking to you. <laughs> well, that's, truly, uh, truly, yeah, it's blushing that, over yeah, here. Yeah, that's you know? where we're at. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's. Uh, 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 you know what's been fun this week is we have we are here on Wednesday morning. We are less than 24 hours away from the from recording our first locks pod and i've i've been uh digging deep in my research and this is uh, it that now i feel I, I truly feel back when i can dig into my locks research and uh, uh start start hitting my bullet points and uh reasonings for winning some money so I'm, I'm excited about locks tomorrow that's right breaking news uh tomorrow morning we will be recording the win totals edition of the locks podcast series tom fernelli making uh his triumphant return we've been discussing the the legalities and uh making sure everybody gets on the same page all through the week so that when we sit down to record on thursday it's in the thunderdome we're just we're just throwing we're just throwing these uh, samurai swords at each other and uh, and seeing what's gonna stick. I'll say, are you starting with a list that is growing or are you starting large and then paring down prior to recording? I've had multiple sessions of making big lists uh, at varying points and that list altering a little bit and now I'm digging in and like getting into the ones I feel the most confident in among the big list and then i do the research and then i'd see if if i've researched myself out of a pick um and so far so good uh but we got right now i've just sort of researched the ones uh, the no-brainers for me i gotta find a i gotta sort of parse out a couple of the bubble teams and figure out if uh how confident i feel are you gonna drop uh bowling green under three on your (laughs) (laughs) on your on the locks pod uh, I have no comment on that. <laughs> we'll uh, have to wait and see. Uh, I, I I took that one to uh, I, t- I took that one to the friends. You know, I was I was out I was out playing playing golf on Saturday, and I had to just propose that for the purposes of discussion, just to introduce <laughs> what the sweat might be like for uh, so for someone who knows almost nothing about Bowling Green, but it's like if you really want to live this football season, that's yes, yeah, <laughs> it is because that's the. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful bet because it opens with Morgan State, the eighth best team in the MIAC, a likely win, and then you got just weeknight Mac games galore the rest <laughs> of the year to just <laughs> just grind that thing out. So we'll we'll see if I have the stones to pull the trigger on that. All right. Um so another note from last week the last episode, the first one of the week, is that we had in uh, in the process of editing after we had finished recording, we had some clarity brought to the Miami quarterback, um, the Miami quarterback battle, where Jaron Williams was announced as the starter for the season opener against Florida. Now Miami does pretty much need to get ahead of this way before any of these other schools that are continuing their quarterback battles. Why? Well, because you know they're playing on August twenty fourth. Everything's sped up. Everything's about a week ahead. A week ahead, but. 
that's not really where uh, you know the drama wasn't over because reports indicated that Tate Martell missed that day's practice. And given uh, Tate Martell's exit from Ohio State uh, after missing out on that starting quarterback job, and given you know Tate Martell's arrival at Miami, uh, I think that that brought up a very quick dive into uh, discussions about uh, college football and transfers, but. Plot twist, uh, he was reported to be back at Miami's practice, back at the team meetings. And so before we get into, uh, I I guess what maybe was even kind of like a a Kelly Bryant, Dabo Sweeney-esque dive into let's just talk about transfer culture, um, let's let's talk about specifically Tate Martell, because Barton, uh, you are an expert, and I I, I was curious, and I, I wanted to sort of get you to expand on the idea that we should look at Tate Martell, particularly here at Miami, and understand that he probably has an opportunity to contribute, even if it's not as the QB1. Well, I mean, there's that. You know, he's, I mean, he was a contributor last year at Ohio State in, in uh, goal line packages and sort of uh, mobile quarterback packages that they put in to, to complement. Dwayne Haskins. Now, I can't say that he ever really impacted games in that role, but they played him. I mean, they, they threw him in the red zone and, and uh, had him take some snaps in, in meaningful moments. Uh, so there's that, uh, you know, there's that element. There's, uh, you know, you can, I mean, they, there's the idea that Jaron Williams is unproven himself and, you know, is, does, is there a need to, to, to give the nod to another quarterback Midway through the year, is there obviously there's injury issues. There's if you're, I mean, l- let's look at the just the idea that, um, you know, college football playoff teams over the last three years are regularly playing their backup. Uh, you know, whether it's Jake Fromm or uh, Tua or um, you know, I mean, we, we've seen backup quarterbacks in very meaningful roles in in very meaningful games. Uh, at the top of the food chain in college football, so so there's just playing the role um, that I think is there as well, and and hey, like there's even the you could you could make a case that there's even a role for him if he wants to sort of be a slot receiver type of guy if that's the where direction he wants to go. But um, I just think the idea that Tate Martell being part of a team is probably pretty good for Tate Martell. Like the. The slot receiver thing was what really interests me because if Tate Martell wants to uh, wants to entertain that possibility and wants to take on that role, like that is that shows, in my opinion, um, ba- you know, going back all the way to the QB one documentaries and and going back to some of the uh, you know social media behavior and certainly he is he's been a, a loud and divisive personality on the internets. I, I would take seeing him uh, contribute in other ways within the Dane Enos' offense and being willing to take that on as a sign of, um, if, if not growth from where he is, at least a sign of some kind of maturity in terms of his commitment to Miami and trying to help the Hurricanes be the best football team that they can be because of his athletic ability. He ranks among the most athletic options out there on the field. And if, if he is comfortable getting in there and uh, catching passes and and making plays like then, then man, that, that to me uh, is, would speak a lot more to Tate Martell than uh, what, like the, then what could be the next step in this scenario, which is that he just goes from Coral Gables to Boca Raton and links up with Lane Kiffin. Yeah. That seems like, the, that seems like <laughs> the natural progression of things, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I do want to be v- like very clear. There has been zero indication from anywhere that Tate Martell is actually considering a move to receiver or that Miami is actually considering moving him to receiver. Like that's purely just sort of a, a fun speculation uh, of of kind of I think, a direction this could go. Well, look, that's more grounded in re- or as grounded in reality as him going to FAU. If we're going to get out here and fire off these, oh, Tate Martell's going to transfer again jokes, then I, I think it is worth being fair to Tate Martell to, to entertain the idea that he could put team before self 
and say, all right, I got it. Now, now what, what can I do? And like you mentioned, there is like Jaron Williams has been, uh, on camp, you know, he's a redshirt freshman. He's been on campus longer. He's been around the team longer. We called him the safe pick in, in the last podcast, but he wasn't named the starting quarterback for the entire season. Tate Martell could still go win this job by week three. Yeah. But, and, and it's funny. I, I, uh, cause everyone dogs on Tate Martell. Everyone. He's such a, you know, he's become this caricature of a cocky quarterback that's underachieved or like a bust even. And I kind of went on Twitter and I guess to, def- uh, not defended him, but I sort of, question like why do we really need to like bag on him this bad and it was and I said I think I made a comment like it was it's bizarre to me how everyone hates Tate Martell that was probably poorly worded I totally get why people hate on Tate Martell like he is such an easy target he has created this for himself uh and with the with the way he's acted on social media uh in other quarterback battles whether it be in high school whether it be when Justin Fields transferred um, and and now when he he doesn't show up at practice the day after Jaren Williams is named the starter, like it, it, he he has absolutely made himself a target for that. I think where I was sort of, and by the way, Chip, if you ever want to get get your mentions popping, get that get that ticker going, uh, get throw some Tate Martell hot takes in your Twitter timeline. You'll you'll. Uh, they'll be climbing, hanging, swinging from vines. See, to, to I, I was going to say, given <laughs> no, but given the the ecosystem on Twitter, I understand that you now are like, I probably, I do understand why people hate Tate Martell. <laughs> right. I didn't, I didn't frame it right. But but, 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 but given my, no 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 but given the ecosystem, I love that you had to start there. It's like right. you had to be even stronger. Like in case you are misreading this, I am def. Defending Tate Martell, <laughs> <laughs> but but I think like my, my greater my bigger point there is here's my the Twitter and this is less college football talk and more social media talk I guess but one of my biggest like sort of pet peeves with Twitter is this idea that like we are all as a Twitter community called to like hold people accountable <laughs> for their previous sins like if somebody was was uh overconfident and cocky and they get humbled by god we gotta let them know we like we have to make sure they feel it and it's like man you know what tate martell is being humbled without twitter like he's being humbled by the fact he's the backup dang quarterback uh, yet again uh and you know and like I, hey all the who have the people i've talked to that are familiar with the quarterback room there like there's no defending him like there's not like a oh he's more humble than you realize he's actually a pretty good guy like I mean he's he's got a reputation and he's lived up to that reputation but I still don't think that like I I I don't feel uh called to to bring Tate back down to earth um and and I think the other thing that the reason I I was sort of uh felt impelled uh, compelled to to tweet something was that uh, Tate Martell is being painted as, as this major underachiever, like hasn't lived up to the expectations. And he, he has, he has certainly, um, not surpassed or met expectations yet, but he is still in a situation where he got beat out by Dwayne Haskins. No big deal. First round draft pick, a guy who was ranked higher than him in high school. He got, he left for, uh, when Ohio state indicated they'd rather have Justin Fields than him. Number two quarterback in the country. Okay, understandable. And Jaron Williams was ranked, you know, Tate was ranked higher in the 24-7 sports composite rankings, but in our rankings, the 24-7 sports, Jaron Williams is ranked higher than him. Like, Jaron Williams isn't some anonymous nobody that just beat out these guys. Jaron Williams is talented in his own right. Um, and so the Tate Martell is a, is a bust while it's trending that way. Like, let's let the guy... Yeah, let's give him a chance to to maybe not be a bust somewhere along the way. I <laughs> how, how dare you call for perspective? <laughs> I mean, but, but and look, he's a redshirt sophomore, like, right? Like, is is he a bust in that he's not a three and done off to be a first round pick in the NFL draft? <laughs> maybe, but I mean, he's still got a lot of college career left. Yeah. And I and I don't want to even act like I'm defending our ranking. Like that's not what this is about. I'm just saying, like he's like if I had to do over, we would rank him lower. But he is, 
he he's still got he's still got some some games left in him and uh, some decisions left to be made and uh, some opportunity in front of him. Um, elsewhere, a little bit of news when it comes to the starting quarterback. I love when <clears throat> we're able to get a little bit ahead of things when we're able to 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 drop just a j- just you know some. Just some some knowledge in your earbuds in March that's going to end up paying off in August. And you heard here on the Cover 3 podcast that Jaden Daniels showed up to Arizona State's spring practice. Uh, He was an early enrollee, and he started to wow people right off the back. And sure enough, Herm Edwards announces this week, Jaden Daniels will be the first true freshman starting quarterback in Arizona State football history. Um, you you kind of called your shot with Jaron Williams. You called your shot with Jaron Daniels. I'm nervous to go up against you and win Toto's locks because you're on a little bit of a hot streak with these quarterbacks. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the Jaden Daniels thing was – that was kind of pretty the, – the writing had been on the wall here for going, going back to the spring. And keep in mind, Jaden Daniels – he was our, I think, number two rated quarterback coming out last cycle. So credit to Arizona State for a getting him in. Uh, but B, I think, <clears throat> I mean, he was so productive in high school. Um, he's so talented, and you know, he's they, given that there was an opportunity there. Like they treated him like a guy that they they would trust with that job from the jump. And I think one thing that's interesting too about this. Um, this this quarterback battle. Remember, Arizona State brought in three quarterbacks uh, in the class, and that's that was, that's obviously that's pretty uncommon. You don't see that very often. But I, I think one thing that's kind of neat about this is one of those guys, Ethan Long, is is somebody that's really athletic, <clears throat> who they've already sort of started putting that. You know, he's played some quarterback, he's played some H-back, he's played some wing-back, he's been on kickoff return team and punt protection team. And uh, and so they're, you know, they're, they, they brought in three quarterbacks. One's going to start. One looks like he may be this all-purpose guy. And then the the other one, Joey Yellen, is 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 pretty good in his own right, apparently, and, and is at least maybe going to be a red shirt who's got a chance to, to develop and, and maybe – take over when, when Jaden Daniels has the NFL. So I think the forward thinking approach that uh, Herm Edwards has had with this quarterback class is, is seems to be really hitting. It helps that they landed maybe the best quarterback in the entire country, but Jaden Daniels is going to be a superstar in the PAC 12. And for them to now have what looks like a foundational piece of their offense moving forward for the next three years you know whether they get beyond seven wins this year, uh, I don't. You know I don't know, but I think you can make some long-term bets on Arizona State right now with the way they're. You know as many freshmen as the, and youngsters as they played last year, and now with an offense that looks like it's going to grow around a really talented true freshman quarterback. Would you guess that uh, by the end of the year, would you have considered Dorian Thompson Robinson's uh, first year at UCLA to be? Uh, success, I guess, or you maybe felt more comfortable at the end than you did at the beginning. Because I'm sure. Yeah, I, I wonder if we we have a little bit of a Dorian Thompson Robinson like impact where there, for example, Arizona State plays Michigan State in what well, week two, one of the first three weeks of the season, and Jaden Daniels might get a little beat up by Michigan State. Might that that might be a little bit tough going up against Mark D'Antonio, and and for a freshman quarterback, that's that's not something that. Uh, that is going to phase me if that ends up being a matchup that goes very much in the way of the Spartans' defense. But you come talk to uh, the Pac-12 defensive coordinators in you know October and November. I could see that we you know light bulb goes on. You know Jane Daniels gets more comfortable. They get into you know, conference play where you've got a little bit more familiarity from a game planning and a scheming standpoint. And I could see the the Jaden Daniels that's playing in in the Territorial Cup against Arizona and playing in some of those really crucial are we going to be bowling games in uh, late October November I think that that's that's where I'm expecting uh, Jaden Daniels to to really start to pop and and to have his name really start to resonate a little bit 
uh, as one of the better quarterbacks in the Pac-12. I still, I'm still going to shy away from claiming uh, him to be one of the top. Let's say I, I'm still going to shy away from saying that you know he's a top two or three quarterback in the Pac-12. But I absolutely believe that by the end of the season, we could talk about him in that kind of uh, in that kind of way. Well, I mean, like when you look at Dorian Thompson Robinson last year, I mean, he he enrolled in the summer, wasn't an early enrollee, uh, wasn't even expected to be the starter. You know, they wanted Wilton Spate to be their starter for some some unknown reason. <laughs> uh, and Jaden Daniels is a whole different deal. Like he, they brought him in, and almost from like week one of spring practice, you're already hearing like Jaden Daniels looks the best of all the quarterbacks, and so he's been sort of in a lot of ways, the leader in the clubhouse since the second he got on campus. And and he's so he's been this perceived starter f- for six months now. And, uh, and so I think he comes in with a little more uh, um, command of the huddle, figuratively speaking, I guess, than uh, maybe your, your typical true freshman that, you know, really – takes this quarterback battle deep into fall camp like hey they named him early it's obvious let's just roll with it and uh, i think that's going to benefit him and benefit arizona state uh in some injury news josh mcmillan is uh is going to miss the whole season right yeah man he's out and and he was looking like the pretty the, the favorite to be the starter he's a he was a i think a red shirt senior um for Alabama, so he'll he'll apply for a six year. He may have been a redshirt junior, so either way, I would expect him to probably get another year. But um, he was sort of not the most athletic, but the guy that's been there and knows the defense and can get everybody lined up and in a, at a position that Alabama has really for a couple years now been trying to add some depth for him to be out of the mix now. Uh, you know, maybe they go Shane Lee, a true freshman. Um, you know, Ali Caho, who was a late arrival last year, who was a five star but hadn't quite lived up to that yet. Maybe it's his time to step up. But but either way, like it's just I think that's another blow to an Alabama defense that is. I mean, it's the things are the roles are flipped from what we're used to in Alabama. Yabianoma, the the former five star edge rusher, it, you know, transferred out. Um, so they're just, you know, the defense is just, it's, it's, uh, it's crumbling a little bit. Uh, crumbling is strong. It's, there is some, some cracks in the facade right now that they need to shore up. But at this moment, I'm finding myself only being limited to identifying it as depth issues because, uh, sure. our, our old pal Gary Danielson is the one who always makes the crack on, on, on the broadcast where he'll say, Oh gosh! Well, just bring in another five star. I mean, they're like they're phenomenally talented, but the it is a numbers game. And when we start to get near, we have had times um, where you start to get near the end of the season, and Alabama, even Alabama, is like, yeah, if we get you know one more injury on the offensive line, things are going to start to get a little shaky. If we get one more injury at linebacker, things might get a little shaky. And it seems like losing McMillan, who you mentioned has really been more of a contributor along the way. You know, I there are there are probably more talented players that are coming gonna come in behind him. But I uh but I'm I'm still gonna stop short of thinking that this is gonna have a major impact right out the gate. I think that if I start if we see uh if we see like one or two linebackers go down with injuries, even if they're just small injuries, then all of a sudden, you know, that that small, small margin between an Alabama and an LSU, an Alabama and an Auburn, an Alabama and a Texas A&M, uh, all of a sudden those become places where those other teams are good enough to potentially exploit them. We just, we just still think that even Alabama with uh, even Alabama with Barton Simmons dropping down in, into the box, I think is still going to go eleven and one. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, there we we grade them on such a different scale than just about everybody else in the country. Uh, even Clemson to a degree. I mean, you know, if Clemson has a sort of a nobody, a middle linebacker, they've won with that before. I don't even, and, and, and Alabama, you know, you look at the, the starters at some of their national championship teams and there's, 
it's it's not like every guy is a is a future all pro. I mean, there's 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 it's sprinkled in there with some guys that are selling insurance right now or selling selling <laughs> yes. cars somewhere. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> not not a lot, but there's a couple here and there. And so, uh, you know, the idea that we sort of have this 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 expectation that oh, if it doesn't some name that we've been hearing percolating behind the scenes at Alabama as the next superstar that all of a sudden they're they're hamstrung. No, they'll be okay. And especially when their offense is as generational as this one might in fact be. So um so yeah, you know, the 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 sky's not falling, but I do think it's just something to monitor as the season progresses and uh because this I do think this is probably going to be another year where Alabama's, you know, they could they could give up 30 points here or there. Like it's not, it just isn't the old Alabama that's uh, that's just going to smother you defensively and, and then run out the clock on offense. No, but they do have some sick. Like uh, I, I agree with you. They're not it, it. The boa constrictor is not at all what I'm expecting from Alabama, but the athleticism. Behind, like Dylan Moses is a phenomenal, like outrageous football talent. But I love, uh, I, I love just thinking about like Patrick Sertain, Xavier McKinney. Like they do have some freak players in the secondary too. So yeah, they they might get uh, diced up a little bit. They might give up thirty points. But I also feel like they've got the kind of playmaking where we might see just uh, ab- absurd plays being made by that back end to the safety valve of the defense. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're because last year was the the unknown was kind of the secondary, and those guys all played pretty well and grew up. And this year, you know, the uh, that's going to be the strength. The secondary is going to be the strength, and they'll they'll lean on that. And I think they're front and and I, as talented as they are uh, on the defensive line, they're young, and so I think that might take some time. But they're they're ultimately going to be really good up front too. It just might not, you know, they, they may grow into that. And uh, Josh McMillan, he is the second season-ending injury that we've had so far. We mentioned it briefly, but uh, running back Trey Sanders, former five-star, will miss the entire 2019 season with a foot injury that needed surgery. Uh, for for Trey Sanders, the prospect, Trey Sanders, the player, what is is there any concern about um, you know this being something within a pattern or or what it might mean for him moving forward? No, I don't think so. He's been he's been uh, healthy, productive. Uh, this this is he. Uh, you know, I think he, he famously said he was going to win a Heisman as a freshman, which was bold coming into that running back room. But he'll have to wait on that. But he may have a better chance that Heisman w- when when he comes back out next year because uh, there's just there's only so many carries to go around already with Najee Harris and Brian Robinson. Um, Brian Robinson is, is sort of being termed as like the most underused piece of the offense last year based on how talented he he is and how you know how few touches he was able to get so he'll have some breakout of potential and Najee Harris is is the former five stars ready for the load this year so that that is not a spot where um unfortunate for Trey Sanders but that's not a spot where Alabama is going to be hurting uh at the running back position uh keeping it in the sec west texas a&m freshman tight end baylor cup suffered a broken ankle he is quote out for a while could miss the entire season this is particularly disappointing for cup he was the number one tight end in the 2019 class and with him stepping in and jay sternberger going on to the nfl there was absolutely the door open where you're looking at jimbo fisher's offense you're seeing uh the way that kellen mond was able to get into a rhythm just firing it down the seam to Sternberger. Like you could absolutely see Baylor Cups being a high impact freshman in the SEC. He goes down with this injury. What's the well, what's your read on this in terms of how you how it adjusts, if at all, sort of your your view of the Texas A and M offense? I think this hurts Texas A and M and more than most true freshmen hurt most places because this kid was a you know he was our number one tight end in the country five star guy he's six six two fifty or something and he runs a twenty two five hundred or two hundred meter which is just smoking and just a rare athlete made some big plays in the spring game was our he was going to be a starter he was going to be a big part of the offense and and Jimbo Fisher wants to uh, you know have a, you know, the tight end is a big part of what Jimbo Fisher wants to do. They still got another true freshman that's pretty good, and Jalen Weidermeyer, 
um, who's still going to, I think, make an impact. But I, I think Baylor Cup was about to be a like an, an immediate national name in in college football as a true freshman. Uh, unfortunately, I think that injury sounds like that injury is pretty gnarly. Sounds like it was pretty like nasty and and significant. So I would imagine the idea that he would come back at all this season is out of the picture and just hope he recovers fully. But uh, so disappointing that we just can't see him and can't see A&M with him uh, lined up as a, a tight end. But uh, I don't think it drastically changes their 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 hopes for what the season can become. But, uh, you know, that's it's that's not a insignificant injury, though. I'm going to call my shot here. 6'6", 245 pounds, the pride of Brock, Texas. We're talking about an iconic Texas A&M tight end. <laughs> you, can't, you, you may want to wait till that rehab gets through before we uh, start going iconic shots on No, on, no, no. I, I, just, I just love the, I love the idea that there's iconic Texas quarterbacks and the Jimbo Fisher era will be defined by iconic Texas A&M tight ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think if 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 that happens, Jimbo Fisher would probably be pretty happy. If he can make a tight end iconic, that probably means they're, they're playing some pretty good football. Uh, you you got any other notes from around the country before we uh, toss it on over Dennis Dodd? Uh, I think that is that's your injury report for uh, the week of August twelfth. <laughs> Coming up on the other side, breaking down the war on football with the Dodd Father next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The magic bullet they now have in their holster, which they will apply. Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh make a combined $20 million this season. Those two guys alone will make $13 million more than the entire Mac. And now it's our pleasure to welcome back to the show Dennis Dodd, senior college football columnist for CBSSports.com, uh, chief uh, chief voice on CBS Sports HQ, uh, you know, and, of course, uh, a regular here on the Cover 3 podcast. Dennis, you, you had a long time on the road this summer. You did the SEC media days. You did the Big Ten media days. Uh, there was, um, you know, you've been in, in summits and symposiums. You moved your son out to Corvallis. Like, <laughs> like you have, you've really, really racked up the, uh, the hotel and the, and the flight points this summer. Uh, well, or, or use points as well too. Oh, there right? we go. <laughs> like a true pro. And one side note on that trip to Oregon to settle in my son saw about one quarter of the mountain West. He's like me. You know, he had to, we had to stop at these campuses just to see what they were like. And, and Colorado State was cool. And Colorado was cool. And we went to Utah. Um, where else did we go? I'm trying to remember. But uh, Wyoming? Uh, did you make a Wyoming stop? What made, uh, made a side trip to Wyoming, went to Boise. Uh, and I hadn't been to, I'd never been to Colorado State, the other ones I had. But it was, uh, uh, it was fun seeing him enjoy these places as much as I did. You know, I said, there, there's where dad was covering the 2002 Winter Olympics at Rice-Eccles, which still has, you know, kind of the, the little banner there that, that the Olympics were there. Um, so it's kind of cool. That's awesome. Did you get to see the uh, new Belgium fat tire beer deck at Colorado State Stadium? Yes, we absolutely did. <laughs> um, great story. We It was locked. You know, we're walking around in the stadium and it's locked and my, we go up this ramp and my son like just hits a button 
and this uh, this door opens, this mechanical door, and I go, okay. So we walk in and you know took pictures and didn't go down to the field, could have, but didn't want to press our luck. But yeah, that uh, the New Belgium Fat Tire Beer Garden or whatever it's called is really cool at one end of the stadium. They they've done a great job there. Um, all right, so we, we got a lot to that we can get to, a lot that we will get to, but I want to start at a something a story that you have been working on throughout this offseason because uh, I think all the way back at maybe the, the AFCA conventions, I think even in January at the beginning of the year was where uh, some of the discussions, some of them here on the Cover 3 podcast, uh, others off air, just the idea that the coaching community – was really starting to get uh, concerned and uh, vocal about the the narratives and the way that the the media in particular is framing uh, football and the future of football and the the phrases like football under attack. You know, I think you know, sort of first started. I I guess Larry Fedora at ACC football kickoff might be our patient zero here. But, um, you know, just as we start to dig into it, like when at what point did you feel like you had enough uh, enough either commentary from coaches or from others within the community to feel like this was becoming really one of the defining discussions off the field in college football? Yeah, well, you you named all the all the main parts of it. But for me, it kind of tipped over the edge when and not many people know this. You guys remember this. It was in. Well, it was last year, actually, when uh, the the football playing JUCOs in Arizona shut down because of cost and insurance. And while that's a small part of the story, um, in my story, it reverberated around the football world. Like a- any head coach who's worth anything has passed through these JUCOs because it's it's talent rich. Um, Barton, you know that. And it was a, a group of players sued. A discrimination lawsuit, in other words, alleging you took these oper- uh, opportunities away from African-Americans. Um, and I talked to one of the coaches who'd lost his job when they shut down these these schools. And I said, OK, this is this is where we are. Um, football is changing before our eyes. And the, I guess the angle was we're all forced to like take a side, whether it's, you know, uh, football needs to change. It's not safe. Or, hey, put skirt, might as well put skirts on them. You know, you had that faction. What are you doing to the game? And it really did start, Chip, last summer. You chronicled it well with Larry Fedora saying, um, you know, football's under attack. And then added it's, it's what did he say? He added, you know, it's the downfall of our culture. He, yeah, he, uh, said, he said that uh, great, great generals and great yeah. military leaders learned from football and that if football goes down, our country is going to go down yeah. too. Yeah. So you've got that um, faction. You've got the story. My story starts out with Steve Hatchell, the executive director of the National Foot Fo- Football Foundation, in, in a meeting with American Athletic Conference administrators and coaches earlier this year. And I was allowed in because I asked. And he starts off, his first statement is, the New York Times has a real penchant against the game of football. They are smart, they are strategic, and they are mean. That's what he chose to lead with in his discussion of the National Football Foundation. So somewhere, somebody thinks the media is part of this. I, I personally never thought that the New York Times had it out for anybody. We could, you know, we could talk politics till the, till the day is long, but in terms of football, I thought they covered it well um, and broke a lot of stories. But that just gives you one idea of how people perceive football these days. There's a trustee at Colorado who said, Mel Tucker, introductory press conference. Mel Tucker said, my dad taught me one thing about football, to hit, hit, hit. You know, we're going to be physical. Uh, Based on that statement, a trustee who was responsible for approving his contract at Colorado didn't. Uh, She was put off by the statement. She goes, I don't think football is safe. If I had friends, I wouldn't allow a child to play football. That's the very first thing that has to be eliminated. She wants to turn Folsom Field into soccer fields. So that's where we are. I mean, you're either on one side of this extreme or the other. It seems to me, um, and uh, and I should mention the participation numbers are at record lows, Um, certainly not in the southeast, but across the country and particularly California. So there's a problem there. So where do you, Dennis, uh, you know, with the the people you've talked to, because there's a 
a level of just sort of amplification of these voices yeah. um, that are that are against it. And and I'm curious whether you think the like how legitimate is the fear of of the football attack? Like how legitimate is the um, is the movement? <laughs> you know, however real that is to to sort of tamp out football. Um, yeah. What 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 legitimacy do you place in it? Yeah, I I think we as this discussion has grown, and, and it's really based. I should mention it's really based on you know when when head trauma became a thing. How many years ago you want to put on that? I don't know, ten, fifteen, five. I don't know. You still have that far right wing faction, and again, not politics, but just conservative views that football, you know, is a is a leader of men. It develops generals. It develops leaders. Uh, the other part of this is I think we're going to have to accept that the game is changing before our eyes for the better. I think it's the NCAA, whether forced to or on their own, has done a great thing in this partnership with the Department of Defense, uh, where I think in general, I think we all admit that there's just there's less hitting in football. There's going to have to be less hitting because the math doesn't add up. You know, the more the less you hit, the more chance you have of injuring yourself, never mind your head. That's why NFL team, the NFLPA has negotiated in the collective bargaining agreement that they go full pads less than one average, less than once a week during a season. Um, in college football, it's spread. Uh, the Big 12 and Pac-12 at least have a limit on um, fully padded practices, which are two a week. And I told coaches around the country, well, we don't do that anyway because of the concern about injuries. So it's just, you know, and I think sooner or later we're going to see the end of kickoffs because the, the numbers there are so tilted uh, in favor of injuries. In other words, per capita, there are more injuries on kickoffs, more catastrophic injuries than any other play. You know, you're talking about maybe five kickoffs and 140 plays. There's more injuries per capita on kickoffs. I think that in, in time will be eliminated. Uh, but it's, just, you know, I, I'm OK with all that. But I think there's another faction here, you know, don't take our game away from us. Um, and it's changing before our eyes. There, there's, as I hear you talk about it, like this is, it almost, uh, I hope this is a delve too much into political yeah. <laughs> talk, but, but I'm, but I, I, I'm, I'm looking at this as sort of a parallel of, of like the NRA's fight for yeah. gun control in terms of like, they don't want to give an inch because they think one inch is just going to lead to the the dam breaking and then all the guns being removed. Whereas, you know, football in a way, I mean, it's, there's been progress in making the game safer. And I guess the fear is, Hey, once you remove, remove kickoffs and then what's next or, uh, you know, no tackling a practice. And then what are we doing? So I, I guess there's that sort of, um, holding of the line, and and where do you draw that line, and what do you what do you allow um, if you're if you're on the obviously the pro football side of things, and and you know, what what do you what do you allow in terms of the safety measures, and what do you push back against? And, yeah, that that's a great point to to just dial this in, dial this one factor in. This is a huge discussion point in football right now. When is a good time for for kids to play tackle football? Mm. Well, uh, Pop Warner sponsors tackle football at age five. Uh, there are state associations that don't allow it till uh, high school. I'm talking about that don't allow it to high school or junior high. Um, who's right? I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I guess I have my problems with age five, but you know, we we don't know what we don't know for sure about head trauma. Uh, repetitive hits are bad, but did you know junior say I'll die because of football? No one can say that for sure. I talked to Aaron Taylor, the analyst on CBS Sports Network, who was who was great. He's got some great insight. He's had six friends who played pro football commit suicide. And he he said, yeah, he said, including very close to junior Sal. And he admitted, you know, that football, you can't say for sure whether football caused this, Um, you know, to the point that this, this whole, this whole head trauma discussion started with, um, with Mike Webster. He was like patient zero. Um, He was in there. Who's the doctor, Uh, Dr. Ben, um, Oh, who who uh, who discovered CTE, and he cites Mike Webster in in that movie or in, in the reporting. Um, Mike Webster is widely known had a uh, and he he lived under a bridge. He was homeless, widely known 
as a, as a person to be a, a drug and alcohol abuser. Well, did that have play into his, uh, his CTE and his brain problems? I, I would think it would say yes. Uh, he also played center in, in, um, in Pittsburgh for years for the Steelers. So we, we don't know what we don't know. And that can, that contributes to the conversation, to the argument. The, the message I've heard from people that have, uh, I've, I've got friends that played in the league that, that have studied this and, the message I've heard in terms of some of the studies is that sort of the early, early playing of football is not is not good because these kids are just sort of bobbleheads out there, just, right? You know, and and they're, they're these huge heads and the neck right. can't control and not, and so there's that level of it. But also, like I remember when I was trying to petition my parents to let me play, they wouldn't let me play forever because it was you know I finally was you know convinced them to let me play in sixth grade, but before that it was. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous, and I, I guess maybe that was more in that era. Is more about like the fear of paralysis. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 in some cases, I feel like we're forgetting that there's always been this pushback for football um, and and the danger quote uh, of the sport. Um, and so I'm I'm really curious as this thing starts to continues to progress and more studies come out, if because you you hear all the the pro football side talk about this game has never been safer. And I think there's probably some truth to that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. There's um, no, I, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say like there I'm, I am uh, uh, often discouraged at choose a side type discussions and debates. And I am encouraged at the, some of the few coaches that I know anecdotally that from, from speaking to them at, uh, you know, media functions or media availabilities on the record, off the record, like there, mm-hmm. there is within college football. I know, um, those, those approaches that say, um, I, we are always open to receiving more information. We are always going to encourage more research to be done. And when recommendations come down about ways to make this game safer and Barton to follow up, oftentimes it's, it comes with that line. The game has never been safer and we are always open to, to making changes. You know, I, I hope that there is that, uh, that growing middle ground in terms of not having, like, I, I would hate to think that in the coaching community, it's turned into a whose side are you on situation. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, to the, it, you know, there's other parts of this. Attendance is down. Whether you know the, the product is good, but it's very expensive, and the experience is not the best. Uh, to spend four hours or seven hours or eight hours at a college game, uh, the, I, I mentioned. I was going to mention one thing. Uh, the insurance has become huge. Uh, there was a compelling what? story in February in ESPN.com about how a lot of football entities, Pop Warner and some others, couldn't really had couldn't get insurance there were like two two companies in the country that were uh, that were writing policies for football um so that's tough so what is the concern for a payout on the insurer is that just like a class action like is um well i yeah i always say this and we all pay for insurance those insurance companies aren't in the business of of writing you checks you know that they have to make money so they pay those, you know, you pay those premiums uh, more than you probably have to so they can make money. If there are enough, you know, they're looking at this, if there are enough head trauma lawsuits and settlements and they have to end up paying those insurance premiums or, or medical cases, they stop making money. So, it, you know, it just becomes, you know, why would you uh, insure a Walenda <laughs> on a high wire? You know, they're very good, but if they fall once, that's a big loss. So, but I, in the piece, I know it is getting better. Um, I did talk to John Butler, who's the head of Pop Warner, and he said, yeah, it was down to two people who would insure any entity. Now it's gotten a little bit better as they've gotten their arms around this. Um, you know, as, as we just said, it is safer. Uh, the numbers prove it. I, I didn't even get into the helmet thing. Apparently there's a revolution in helmets now where they differ by position which I guess was surprising to me. They're much safer now. And if you can prove that to an insurer, then that's going to bring the premiums down and bring them back into the market. Ish, crazy stuff. Um, All right. We've been filling out some ballots for CBS sports.com. The CBS sports 2019 all America team went up on Tuesday on Wednesday, our all time one CFB 150 all time all Americans 
Um, let's say Barton, you first with with the CBS Sports, the 2019 CBS Sports preseason All Americas. Was there any position where you found yourself uh, struggling with it in terms of making your cuts or decisions, and uh, or uh, you know, as you look at the as you look at the final team, were there any differences or uh, places where you want to call attention? Uh, I, I would say one spot that I, that was maybe my most interesting internal debate was what to do with the first team quarterback. Mm -hmm. And it might actually be a little bit of a different discussion than you guys may have had internally. I was toying with making Sam Ellinger, my first team quarterback over Trevor Lawrence. (laughs) Wow. Whoa. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. So like it's, and it's really, I mean, it's a bet on, I mean, Trevor, if, if, if Clemson puts Chase Bryson at quarterback, they're probably still going undefeated. Um, whereas Sam Ellinger, if, if Texas somehow goes 12-0 or 11-1, which is in the realm of possibility, it will be almost wholly because of what Sam Ellinger has done and like some heroics that he's accomplished. And so uh, that, was, that was my debate was just sort of like how – you know, how hard am I willing to go for my guy, Sam Ellinger? Um, and ultimately I went Trevor, Trevor one, Ellinger two, two obviously would have been, been right there as well. But, um, you know, I think that's, that's going to be an interesting, uh, horse race to track there. I, I hadn't even considered Sam Ellinger for the first team spot, but you raised some good points. I think that's, that's interesting. You really think, uh, Chase Bryce would have beaten Alabama. I'm no. I'm saying this in this this year's team. Oh, oh. I think okay. I think they go. I think Clemson could probably go 12 and 0 with Chase oh, Bryce. Now, what, yeah, what happens yeah, in the right. playoffs? You know, that, that that's, that's right. probably a little bit more of a stretch. But um, but in terms of this this season, this regular season was kind of the way I was looking at it. Um, I, I would I would have no hesitation picking Clemson in every game with Chase Bryce. I'll, I'll and here's why I picked Trevor Lawrence. I I racked my brain and I wrote a story about it the last time I saw a freshman that I thought could play in the league right now. And it, and it was based on his body of work, particularly, obviously, the championship game, where he said, this guy should be in the NFL right now. Um, and I, I couldn't think of one. I mean, there are some. Uh, Dan, but All the guys I looked up, Dan Marino, Elway, um, some others, as freshmen, just didn't have the impact that Trevor Lawrence did in seven or eight games that they had in entire seasons. It's amazing. Yeah. So that was that was my rationale. I've got uh, I I think I well I mean you you guys know I'm already way too big on my Oklahoma Jalen Hurts bet so I think I might have had Jalen Hurts in there too. Uh, I right, Dennis, what about you? Any any positions where you really struggled or um, where you you felt like you might not be just moving along with the rest of the pack? No, I I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, you know, I'm glad Rondale Moore made all purpose because I and obviously one of the receivers he needs to be in there. I really like Patty Fisher, the uh, the the living incarnation of Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. By the way, I asked him that at the P- Big Ten media. Just, yes, people have said I'm I'm his child. Plays the same position, volume tackler, same name almost. Um, you know, good old boy. So, no, I I really didn't uh just because when the team came out yep 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 that was those were basically the guys i picked the missouri tight end was a bit of a surprise but i think people see that he was injured a lot last year uh help me out here albert okwubunum uh i think is a is a redshirt junior was injured a lot last year in uh, in drew Locke's last season i think he's really going to prosper and and that offense again with kelly bryant this year so no, I, I was good with it. I think we've got a way in there. I think it's maybe Okawebunum. Okay, all right. We're we're, we're all working on it. Barton, you, you want to take a stab? Alum. I should know this. I was going to say, Dennis. I know. Yeah, you I should know. be the expert here. <laughs> I know. Um, I, I, I am, we are all, uh, we're all zeroed in on Rondell Moore and Rondell Moore is fantastic. First player in big 10 history to be a unanimous freshman, all American, or, you know, these, he was outstanding, but I am willing, like we, when we talked about it on CBS sports HQ on Tuesday, you know, it was, uh, I was trying to circle names from uh, the second team that I could end, uh, end up seeing as first team picks. I could see Jalen Waddle. Uh, surpassing Rondell Moore for top all-purpose player. And I could see A.J. Epinesa from Iowa 
making a jump to being more of a first team defensive line pick. And then I could see Micah Parsons just having an absolute like explosion year at Penn state uh, on a defense that while it doesn't have many certain names, uh, there's no lack of talent. And I think that we end up learning some of those playmakers pretty soon. And the Parsons has got to be one of them. I, I've I talked, was, yeah, go ahead. I, I've talked to just talking to some people around Penn state, um, you know, since, since that staff has been there, it's sort of Saquon Barkley and then, and then a huge gap. And then everybody else in terms of just sort of flash talents, uh, pure raw ability. And, uh, they're saying that Micah Parsons is like getting to be on that Saquon Barkley tier in terms of just oh. what he can accomplish, what he looks like athletically, the competitiveness that he brings every day. Um, so he's, I, I'm, he was, one, he was a first teamer on my ballot. Uh, I think he's going to be a dude this year. Um, the one other guy, and, and I mean, I think wide receiver, this, this year at wide receiver is, yeah. is phenomenal. Like I didn't even have Rondell Moore on my, on my wide receiver ballot. And I fully acknowledge he's good enough to be a first, you know, a first teamer. Um, I actually had Jerry Judy one, LaVisca Chenault two, Justin Ross three, Tylen Wallace four. But there, there's like all kinds of different uh, wide receiver combinations I think are defensible as long as Jerry Judy's in there somewhere. Yeah, you could have two Alabama receivers in first team. They've got you could have four. You could have your top four guys as Alabama receivers. Yeah, you, they're they've got the best set of receivers in the country. Which I I never thought those words would come from my mouth, but you know I never thought Nick would run RPOs either. That's another story. Um, yeah, uh, when's uh, and I did, I haven't looked this up. It just struck my mind. When's the last time the Bolitnikov winner returned? Um, you know, I'm sure I'm sure there's one out there, but you know to have the best receiver in the country return. Is uh, is something for Alabama, and there. I will say this, not to open up another can of worms. I, I, I think Jerry Judy's numbers are going to go down because Nick Saban is going to reel Tua in a little bit, and even with the injuries, is going to run Najee Harris and Brian Robinson more, um, just just to develop more of a power running game. It's it, well, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I would say on that though, um, there's some buzz coming out of Alabama camp that there's going to be a lot more ten personnel, four wide stuff. Yeah. Because of their lack of a tight end, right. so they don't they they um, they lost Irv Smith, uh, Kendrick. Uh, oh, was it? I can't remember. The, the, they they got a trans transfer to guy to SMU, and the guys on and Miller Forstall's been a little bit banged up in the preseason, and so they don't have as as proven a tight end option as they're used to having. So while I I agree with you that they you know the real and two end thing seems to be kind of the the approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be really tempted to just, you know, spread those guys out, go four wide with the four best receivers in the country, and dare someone to figure out a way to, to, to you know, who, pick your poison. You know, yeah. who, who are you not double? Right. Yeah. There's there's nobody on that schedule. It looks like they can do that consistently. But I will say this: they, you know, you can run power out of that set, uh, which I think he'll he'll just do more of. Um, Chip Kelly did use a tight end. Um, in his four wide and his spread, others don't at, at his base. That's what Gus Malzahn wants to do is run power out of the spread. Um, I, with a quarterback situation this year, I, I don't know which way that's headed because they're going to be a defensive, uh, minded team. So no, you can do it, but, but if that's the case, Barton, it's even going to be more entertaining at Alabama. That's going to be fun to watch, but Tua, Tua has Tua has to make better decisions. I think we we all understand that. He he thought he could score a touchdown on every pass sometimes, and sometimes you know sometimes a checkdown is a win. There yeah. were there were a solid eight games where the evidence that was presented to Tua by his own actions suggested he could score on every play. Sure, <laughs> like sure. there was there was a, yeah. a big portion of that season where he would just sit back and just wait for Jerry Judy to get free sixty yards down the field. Sure. Just let it go. Uh, also on CBSSports.com, we released our college football turns 150 all-time All-America team. It was a daunting task to fill this out. I am, uh, I don't have uh, but a, a a set collection of of college football uh, knowledge for me to draw from my own lifetime. So I will admit that it was 
uh, a little bit of a, a research project, but one that I certainly enjoyed doing as an appreciator of this sport and all of its uh, fantastic history. I would, I did probably lean a little bit more towards the recognizable names on my own ballot, but man, it was fun to be able to uh, to dig in there and and make a good argument for a Leroy Selman, uh, for a Hugh Green, for a Dick Butkus. Uh, so Dennis, you actually wrote the story. So what, what, how did you feel confident and comfortable with the way that, uh, the way that the final all America all time team came out? Yeah, I did. I mean, there, there was some, as you mentioned, some tremendous, uh, arguments to be made and decisions to be made. Um, and, and I, I thought the collective mind, us did a really good job. The, the voting goes back all the way to 1964 and goes as far as uh, 2009. Most recent player in the all-time team was Ndamukong Sue of Nebraska. Um, 64, I think, was Tommy Novus at Texas. So if that's recency bias, it's recency bias. You know, I I didn't have Davey O'Brien on there. What what do you do with a guy like him? You know, who's one of the all-time greats, played in the 30s at TCU. What do you do with Timmy Chang, um, who's number two in passing in Hawaii? I I was shocked when I looked it up. The all-time leading passer in history is Case Keenum. You know, what do you do with him? Uh, I don't think he'd be in the top two, but that's the kind of decisions you had to make. Steve McNair at Alcorn State who played down a division. Uh, You know, I had Tommy Frazier as my quarterback, but Tim Tebow could easily be the guy. Uh, You know, he won two championships. So did Tommy Frazier. Tim Tebow, I think, I want to say 119 total touchdowns or maybe more than that. But I don't know if I've ever seen a better option quarterback than Turner Gill for pure ability. Um, so it, it, it was really, really hard. You know, one of my big, like, um, crystallizations of going through this process and, like, uh, kind of eye-opening, and not that I didn't know this, but the amount of all-time greats that Pitt has produced – yeah. That, that are candidates for like every position, every position, there was some pit all time great. And even, even if they didn't make my team, they were, they were sort of in the running. Um, and it's sort of, uh, it, it helps you kind of remember and acknowledge that, you know, some of the teams and programs that have really produced talent at a really high level consistently. And the, the other one, I mean, I, we all know this, but like, it was, I, I think my top two safeties were Ed Reed and Sean Taylor, like, um, yeah, yeah. You know, guys that played in yeah. Miami uh, in the same era, so uh, it, it was it was it was an impossible task, but it was kind of fun to dig into it. Yeah, um, yeah. You're talking about Tony Dorsett, uh, Hugh Green at Pitt, Dan Marino, Mike Dan Ditka. Marino, Mike Ditka. What do you do with those guys? Um, <laughs> Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald was like, Larry yeah. Fitzgerald too, yeah. who would be in a lot of people's uh, all-time list. Uh, I had on the safeties, I had Ronnie Lott. That was the hardest position, I think, just to come up. Ronnie Lott, Ed Reed, Kenny Easley, and Jack Tatum were my four safeties. We had to pick four. Jack Tatum was, you know, besides being one of the most physical safeties in the country, um, you know, a lot of these guys, their NFL careers were greater than their college careers because they played longer than the pros. But Jack Tatum was was one of the most physical players that anyone has seen as a safety. Kenny Easley was a tactician, I think, at UCLA. What do you say about Ed Reed, who was who added? He was less about the Miami swag and more about just pure production. Um, and Ronnie Lott, who, like, you know, we all know the story about him having his pinky amputated to get back in the game. That was while he was a pro. Um, is is maybe the best of all time at that position? My uh, my my flaming hot submission is that I left Tim Tebow off my ballot. Tim Tebow wasn't yeah. on my ballot either. I got I yeah. caught a lot of heat from Silverstein. You guys, yeah. you, you guys might not like this either, but my first team quarterback, uh, it's maybe a controversial pick, but I had Cam Newton as my first team. I, quarterback. I don't have a problem. Let's go. <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with that. I I told our esteemed editor who you just mentioned. I said since I've been working at CBSSports.com. The two best players I've seen are Cam Newton and Tim Tebow. Um, the best player I've ever seen is Barry Sanders, but that was 30 years ago. So I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I mean, we can talk about the off-field stuff, but that's not, you know, considered here. He was he was awesome. Cam was awesome. Undisputed, owned the sport for an entire season. Yeah. 
and won yeah. a daggum national title doing it. It was a one. It was a one-year de- deal. So yeah. you know, if you're making it a career award, I guess there's other bigger, better arguments to be made. But I still think this is like the he was like the best, most dominant season that yeah. I've ever seen in my you know in my window. Um, but uh, yeah, Silver. Yeah, you know who else? Real quick, you know who else is in that category? Uh, is Michael Vick, who you know he single-handedly kept Virginia Tech. Uh, almost beat Florida State by himself in that championship game. If you watch the game, um, you know, Florida State had better talent, but Vic just, I called it the Vic flick. He could flick his wrist and get that ball down the field. I remember watching him at Miami. It may have been that season or the season after in the old Big East where he was limited by an ankle. And you could tell, it's like, boy, this guy at full strength, Virginia Tech wins this game. And he almost willed him to victory on, on one of those hot, steamy fall days at at Miami with half a, you know, half a leg, but you know, I'll, I'll never forget watching him, um, in his brief, was it God, two years that he started? I can't remember. I think, Sounds he, right. I think it was a redshirt sophomore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was, uh, let's see, Michael Vick. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> mm. Um, that's all good stuff. I did not have Michael Vick. My argument was for Roger Staubach. Get at me. Support yeah. the troops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can check out the all-time All-America team over on CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Dennis Dodd CBS. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Deserve.